In the name of Jesus. Amen. What kind of hymn is this, you think? And then you look, oh yeah, Martin Luther. <laughs> thy people's pasture, we just sang, is thy word. Their souls to feed and nourish. In righteous paths to keep them. Amen, dear saints. Amen. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. The, the seed is the Word of God. That's the key point to the parable that Jesus is telling. To His disciples, to the people listening, and to us, the seed is the Word. The Word. The Word, the Word, is where we find life and where we find salvation and where we find God's goodness and mercy. It's in the Word, in the Scriptures. Before things get too complicated, and I think they might because this is quite a complex parable, before things get too complicated, we have this simple charge today from the mouth of our Lord Jesus, and it is this. Read your Bible. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. With your family, by yourself, with your church, Every day, open your Bible. Let your eyes see over those words. Read it. You have the command from God for this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and His Word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. You have that promise from heaven. Or sorry, that commandment from heaven. And you have promises too. For example, from Isaiah 55, the Old Testament lesson. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, void, but it will accomplish that which I purpose it. It shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. It is the word of God that gives us new life. Here's James chapter 1. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be kind of, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. Or here, 1 Peter chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25. The Lord has even given a promise to all of those who daily study His Word. This is the first words of the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Blessings for we who treasure the Lord's word, who meditate on it daily. Read your Bible. 
All of us have repenting to do here. All of us. But the Lord is, is merciful even to us. The blood of Jesus covers even the neglect, our neglect of the treasure of his word. And I hope and pray that by repentance and forgiveness, that the Holy Spirit would teach us today to pray this simple prayer. Lord, help me study your life-giving word with joy every day. And then you can ask yourself some questions. This is very practical. How can I adjust my daily schedule to have time to hear the Lord's Word? Why don't I go to Bible class or carve out some time to come on Tuesday or morning or Wednesday night? What can I do with my family to have a more regular devotional life so that we continue to hear this Word of God? And on an even more practical note, this is as practical as I can possibly get If you do not have a Bible at home, do not leave this building without one. Just tell me after church, and I'll hand you one. So that we each have a Bible there to read, to study, to pray, to hear the Lord's Word. Read the Bible. That's the first thing. But there's more in the text. And so we turn to consider it now a little more closely. For for in this parable of the sower that our Lord Jesus tells, there's four different things that happen to the seed. There's four different places that the seed of God's Word lands. There's three different assaults that face this seed. And there's two different results. Either life or death. And this is the point of the parable. There's a question that Jesus is answering with this text. It's a question that's always hanging around the preaching of law and gospel. And the question is this. Why are some people saved and not others? Why do some people reach the end of their lives with faith and others with unbelief? The question can be asked theologically, and it's a particularly difficult question, like this. If God wants everyone to be saved, and if Jesus died for everyone, and if we're dead in our trespasses and sins so that salvation is completely a work of God, then why are not all people saved and going to heaven? Why do some end up in God's wrath and in hell? But this question is not just a theological one. It's also a very, very practical one. I love it when you guys ask me the question like this as you're leaving church. Pastor, Jesus is so wonderful and good to us, so mercifully and kind. Why doesn't everyone believe in his promises? Or on the other hand, and this is particularly difficult, Pastor, all of my children were baptized. They all grew up in church. They all went to Sunday school. Why did some of them stop coming? Why did some of them stop believing in God? This is the question that's there in the text. In the Gospel of Luke and in all of the Gospels, Jesus has been teaching and preaching and performing miracles. And some people came and followed him. Other people believed in him, even if they went home and didn't follow after him. But most people that Jesus encountered, remember this, most people that Jesus came across did not believe in him. They didn't follow him. They even saw the miracles that he worked and refused to trust in him. 
And some people, in fact, all of the most important people in society at that time, the scribes and the Pharisees and all of the rulers, these people not only didn't believe in Jesus, but they were trying to kill him. They were trying to lock him up, have him arrested, have him silenced. It it must have been, in fact, I know it was, that the disciples were asking the same question that you guys and that I asked, Jesus, why doesn't everyone believe in you? Why doesn't everyone follow you? The words that you speak are words of grace and truth and life and salvation. Why doesn't everybody believe them? And this parable is Jesus' answer. Perhaps we can summarize the point like this. The Word of God is opposed. The Word of God, maybe better, has enemies. The Word of God is fought against. You, dear Christians, who have God's Word, are under attack. You are being assaulted. The Word of God in you is being ambushed. There are out, there are things out there trying to choke out the words of life spoken from Jesus. And they are three. The devil, the world, and the flesh. First, the devil. The devil hates everything that God loves. And that includes you. The devil knows that you have life in the Lord's Word, so he comes along and tries to snatch it up, to, to distract you from hearing it, to make Sunday, and have you ever wondered about this? Why Sunday is the most difficult day of the week to wake up on time. The devil tries to confuse you about God's Word, about what it says. He tries to make other things more important. He tries to distract you. He tries to confuse law and gospel. He tries to cause you to doubt that God's promises are true for you. The seed that fell along the path are those that have heard, and the devil comes along and takes away the Word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. This has been the devil's strategy from the very beginning. Even in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did God really say, the devil says? See it? So the devil causes Adam and Eve to doubt God's Word. To question God's Word. To stand in judgment over God's Word instead of just believing it. And at that point, everything was lost. The devil hates God's Word and he hates you hearing and believing God's Word. And so he comes and tries to snatch it away. But there is another enemy of the Word. The second enemy is the world and all of its troubles. There is a persecution that constantly accompanies the hearing and believing of God's Word. Jesus says it like this, And the ones that fell on the rocks are those who, when they hear the Word of God, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but when the time of testing comes, and dear saints, the time of testing always comes. When the time of testing comes... They fall away. I think our fathers in the faith, the saints of old, knew this more than we do. Maybe not, but I think so. There were generations of Christians who lived constantly with the fear that their confession of the name of Jesus meant that they would be burned at the stake or thrown to the lions or, or, or tossed in jail or have their head cut off. If there is a persecution for the church today, it's a soft persecution. It's the, 
and, and you, some of you know this more than others perhaps, but there is a, a shame in our society for being Christian, for confessing the name of Jesus, for standing up and saying that you believe that Jesus was crucified, died and buried, and that He rose on the third day, and that He forgives all of your sins. There is this soft shame that comes from having the name of Jesus on you, and perhaps that's enough. That trouble is enough to cause faith to wither. It becomes too much for some. Jesus did not promise a life without trouble. In fact, he promised us the very opposite. And these words are words I hope that we can all have etched in gold in our hearts, that we can remember them. John 16.33, where Jesus says, These things I've said to you, that in me you may have peace, for in the world you will have tribulation. You will. You will. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. We have trouble in this world. And these troubles are attacking our faith. And many, says Jesus in the parable, have been lost to these assaults of the world. The devil, the world, and the third enemy of the Lord's word is the flesh. The pleasures and delights of this life. Some guy has the bumper sticker. You've seen it? The one who dies with the most toys, wins. Have you seen that? Wins what, I want to ask. <laughs> this is how Jesus says it. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus is warning us here about the assaults of our flesh about a life that is so concerned about gathering up material possessions that spiritual gifts are lost. What does it profit, Jesus asks. And this is a question that each of us need to consider very seriously. What does it profit for a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? That is a good question. You can't take it with you. The pleasures of this life are temporary. This, of course, doesn't mean that our Lord Jesus is forbidding us to, to have pleasure, to have a life full of joy, to have material possessions. In fact, we pray for them every time we pray. Give us this daily bread, all the things that have to do with this body and life. But Jesus is warning us, and this is a strict warning, about a life given over to the constant pursuit of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God, says Jesus, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus lays it out for us. Why doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? Why doesn't everyone trust in his word? Why isn't this church filled to the brim of people who want to hear and believe the Lord's law and gospel? The reason is because God's word is opposed. His word is attacked from every different direction. There is a spiritual reality. And the spiritual reality that surrounds us that we cannot see is a violent reality. A violent opposition to the word of God. The devil's anger and hatred, the world's ire, and the aim of the flesh is completely to destroy 
God's Word, to destroy it from your heart and the life that it brings to you. But there is hope for us. For those of us who are in the midst of this battle, who stand often unknowing in the middle of this violence, there is hope. For us who are constantly being tempted by the devil, for those of us who suffer the troubles of this world, for those who feel, for those of us who feel in our flesh the constant pull of riches and pleasures of life, that is for all of us, there is hope. For it is not up to you to have life and life eternal. It is not up to you to earn the forgiveness of your sins. It is not up to you to make a way into heaven. It is the very Word of God. The Word that Jesus planted in your heart, in your baptism. The Word that you hear week after week in the forgiveness of your sins. In fact, the very Word that Jesus is speaking to you now. Your life and your salvation are God's work, His delight, and He who loves you will see it through to the end. For His Word does not return to Him empty but accomplishes the very thing which He purposes it for. And that purpose, dear saints, is your salvation. So it is that the One who began this good work in you, He will see it too. He will see it through to the day of your salvation when Jesus returns. And in the midst of all of our trouble, this the Lord working in us through His Word. This is our comfort and our peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.